Welcome to session 29 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 29th of January. Today we'll be looking at Exodus 35 to 40 and Psalm 29. But so far in Exodus, we've followed Israel's journey from slavery in Egypt to meeting God at Sinai. The Israelites, while initially welcomed in Egypt, found themselves oppressed. Raised in Pharaoh's palace, Moses ended up killing an Egyptian which forced him into exile, before returning, charged by God to rescue his people. A series of plagues unfolded, each targeting a different Egyptian deity, culminating in the Passover. The people left Egypt freed by their God. Upon reaching Sinai, we read as God started a new covenant with his people and provided them with guidance on how to live. Then came the designs for the tabernacle. This included the tent itself, the furniture to go in and outside the tent, instructions for the priests serving in the tabernacle, and then anything else needed to make the tabernacle run. A tax was introduced, to maintain the tabernacle, and skilled men were chosen to put everything together. Everything is in place to start the construction of the tabernacle. But just when we thought God has finally restored his people to him, the Israelites faltered. Moses' prolonged absence led them to create a golden calf and act of idolatry and faithfulness towards God. Over 3,000 Israelites are killed, and God's wrath is kindled. But Moses interceded for them, reminding God of his promise and his character. God relented and invited the Israelites back into a covenant relationship again. Even when his people are faithless, God remains faithful. So let's jump in with today's reading, Exodus 35 to 40, the end of Exodus. These last five chapters are mostly a rehash of what we've read in Exodus 25 to 31. We first got the instructions of how to build the tabernacle and prepare the priests. We now get the people following those instructions. Because of this, most of what we said about Exodus 25 to 31 also applies here. The final chapter has some new details though, so we can look at those. Having just renewed their covenant, Moses calls the people into a second offering of resources for the tabernacle. This time, the people are so generous with their giving, those making the tabernacle have to ask them to stop bringing stuff. The craftsmen begin working on the tabernacle. Having made the tent itself, they move on to the furniture, starting off with the pieces that are going to be in the centre of the tent and slowly moving outwards. Something we didn't mention before is some of the imagery that is woven or engraved into the items being made. The priestly garments had pomegranates hemmed in, as did the tabernacle curtains and veils. This imagery is to further reinforce the callback to the Garden of Eden. This is a play of fruitfulness and abundance, where the divine meets the earthly. Once finished, everything is given to Moses to inspect, sees that it's good, and then blesses it. He then is the one to finally put all the pieces together. Moses erects the tabernacle on the first day of the first month. This is the start of a new year for the people, a new beginning. It's an incredible moment. As the tabernacle is finished, God's presence comes down and fills the place. This place, which has been designed for God to dwell, and for the people, specifically the priests and Moses, to be able to enter and meet with God, is finally ready. And so Moses goes to enter it, and he can't. It's an incredibly sad moment. The mistakes and the poor choices of the people, their sin, have made them no longer worthy to come into God's presence. So where do we go from here? Well, the people have contaminated themselves with their sin and are now unable to enter God's presence. So just like the tabernacle was made pure and holy so that God could dwell there, we now need a system to clean the people so that they can be pure and holy and enter into God's presence. That's where the next book, Leviticus, comes in. But for now, you've finished another book in the Bible. Celebrate the win. You are two-fifths of the way through the Torah, that first five books of the Bible, and I've currently read two of the 66 books in the Bible. 
So take a moment, clap yourself on the back. You're doing well. And then let's jump to Psalm 29. This Psalm falls into the category of praise Psalm because of the focus on strength and God's voice. This was a Psalm sung after a great military victory. There was a sense that the war cry of God is what helped the Israelites win battles. Here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself. So we start in verses one to two, scribe glory to the Lord. Then in verse three, his voice is like thunder. Verses four to six, his voice is powerful. Verse seven, his voice is like fire. Verse eight to nine, his voice shakes the earth. And then verse 10 to 11, the Lord sits enthroned. The psalm opens with a call to heavenly beings. The Hebrew describes them as the sons of God, to praise God. So great is the sense of victory amongst the Israelites that they tell the very heavens to sing God's praises. They mention that God's voice is like thunder over water. There's lots of different stories that are being pulled in here. So we've got God speaking to the water and dividing it at creation, which is Genesis 1. We have the flood narrative, so Genesis 6 to 8. We've got splitting the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk through in Exodus 14. That's just to name a few. We've mentioned with each of these that the sea embodies the forces of chaos. And so just as God's voice has power over the sea, it also has power over chaos. This includes the enemy armies seeking to bring chaos and destruction. They must all submit to God's voice. The next feat of strength we see from God's voice is that it breaks cedars from Lebanon. Lebanon was an area to the north of Israel and many of their enemies attack them from the north. But God takes these enemies and he breaks them chasing them away like a young calf. God's voice is described as like fire or lightning, depending on your translation. The very earth itself trembles, deers give birth and forests are stripped bare. In each of these, we see God's authority and power over every area of nature. And so the psalm ends by honoring God with his rightful place as a king. He's enthroned over the flood, the embodiment of all things chaotic. His reign lasts forever and he strengthens his people. In this psalm, we learn of God's great power and authority. All the scary things of earth, whether it be chaos, enemy forces, or just day-to-day -day life, must bow before him. 